Hello everybody, this is Gabe with the Ball Out Boys podcast. Just letting you know that this was recorded on January 25th before the Matt Stafford to the Rams trade, which we will get into in our next recording on the 1st of February. So if you hear that we're talking about Matt Stafford, he has been traded to the Los Angeles Rams for a package around Jared Goff. Now let's get into the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ball Out Boys podcast. This is episode 2. Joined with our lovely co-hosts for the evening, Vance, Spiker, and Joel. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm on a post-caffeine high, but I've gone past the plateau stage and I'm back to like normal energy levels, so I'm raring to go. No caffeine benders yet, but did start the Colin Sexton uh, for MVP club, so life is good. Don't steal my intro. Colin Sexton is basketball. Also, Gabe, yes, I am feeling lovely. Thank you. Perfect. We're going to get into our first topic for the evening and uh, talk about some NFL championship round recap of the weekend's games, where you guys stand as far as going into the Super Bowl, and we'll we'll hit on the Super Bowl next week, but kind of getting a recap as far as Green Bay and Buffalo. So we'll start with the first game of the day, the Buccaneers and Packers. What are you guys' thoughts? Tom Brady's taking them back to the Super Bowl. Tenth one of his career, pretty amazing. But uh, what do you guys think of that game? I told you he's on a mission, and unlike LeBron, he's won more than half of his finals appearances. Truly, the goat. Hate to say that as a Peyton Manning fan, but um, very impressive nonetheless. Not a fan of how conservative Green Bay played it down the stretch, but here we are. It was so hard to root for either of those teams th- throughout the game. I just, every interception Joel, that you're was... you're a closeted Tom Brady fan, and we know it. It was so hard watching that game, Joel. Uh, I, I'm on the same boat with you. I really cannot stand either team. And just at the end of the day, I was just like, I honestly don't care at this point who wins. I actually really thought it was an, an Why entertaining game. Why don't you like game. the Packers game? I thought it was a really entertaining game, but yeah, I just, I didn't really care who won you say why i don't why i don't like the packers yeah i know why joel doesn't like the packers because he has a 10 year old 10 a decade long grudge but what why do you not like the packers fans why don't you tell us about the eagles i don't know it just i i've always hated the packers for some reason it just ever since i was a little kid just hated them so much i think they're one of the the most well-run franchises or at least have been up until kind of recently I saw a stat where of all of their draft picks this past year, only one of them played a snap in that game yesterday. So not a great sign there. It's really impressive the way that they make all of their franchise quarterbacks hate them. Well, and we'll get into that. Very consistent. Well, we'll get into that here in a few minutes. But just recapping that game, Tampa Bay took the game 31-26. And what was, you know, I would say it was a pretty good game back and forth. Tampa Bay, like I said, came out at the end due to some questionable calls on the Green Bay side. I kind of want to get your guys' takes on, you know, if you're Matt LaFleur, the coach for the Green Bay Packers, what do you do in that situation? Down three scores. Do you kick the field goal? I think they were on their eight, fourth and goal on their eight. Do you kick the field goal and still make it a two-possession game, two-score game, or do you try to go for the touchdown and, you know, kind of close that gap. You got to go for a touchdown because you need a touchdown either way. So I don't know why they just kicked the field goal and then gave it back to the GOAT with like a couple of minutes and change, especially when Leonard Fournette had been having such a good game too on the ground. Like it just, it reeked of playoff inexperience on the Packers side. And yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty rough. I thought the Packers had legit chance. I mean, Tom Brady also threw, threw three picks. You know, we, we joke, you know, talking about Tom Brady on, 
on the warpath. But also, like, Tom Brady hasn't been the best. He's been good when he needs to be. But the teams he's played have had plenty of opportunities to make him pay for his mistakes. They, they just haven't. They had, The Buccaneers haven't played a team good enough, I guess, to capitalize on Tom's mistakes because he's thrown, what, five picks this postseason? So I think the Buccaneers are a little bit lucky, but, man, terrible coaching at the end there. Well, six points, six points from three turnovers. You can't, you can't do that. You at least have to get a touchdown and maybe even a touchdown and field goal out of the three turnovers to turn the tide in the game. So correct me if I'm wrong. It was what 31-23 when Green Bay kicked that field goal. So it doesn't make any sense. You go for it. It's still a one. It's a one-score game at that point. Might as well go for it. If you don't get it, you're still down eight. And even if you get a stop, it's still a one-score game. Only reason I could see kicking the field goal is it gives you some leeway in case the Bucks drive the field and kick a field goal themselves. But at that point, with, with the amount of time left in a, the game, like your best chance to score a touchdown is going to be right there. There's no guarantee you're going to get the ball back. Just like I know people have posted stuff about, like, oh, the analytics approach says it's not much different. But if you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady with over two minute, just over two minutes left in a playoff game, you're probably not going to see the football. And they, again. it was already fourth and goal. It's not like they were at like their their own thirty yard line. And you're like, okay, you know, even if we get a first down, we still have to go some of the field. There, I actually might understand kicking a field goal and then maybe just going for the onside kick. Just kicking it from there just feels like such a throwaway. It was. It was kind of. You know, I want to go back to that that playoff and experience that you guys were just talking about. It, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. You have you have a team that's made two out of the past three NFC championships, and that a coach that's in his third year with what is arguably maybe the MVP of the season in Aaron Rodgers, and you don't trust him to to get you eight yards for a touchdown in, in crunch time. I just I didn't under I didn't really understand the call. I didn't understand the logic behind it. You know, like you guys were saying, it's it's still a two possession game. It just it just made no sense. I mean I can understand having a little bit doubt in Rogers because Rogers also wasn't optimal that game with his own picks, but you just you don't have any other better options there. I mean, yeah. It's it's silly all around. Matt LaFer should know better. Then moving on to the AFC side, uh, the night game, we had Kansas City take on Buffalo. Kansas City came out on top 38-24, which I thought it, it just for some reason to me, the game just it didn't live up to the expectations that I had. It's not to say that it was a bad game. It was more of I just thought overall it was going to be better for buffalo to come out 9-0 i was like okay i was you know happy i was excited surprised and kansas city went on that 21 to nothing run in the second quarter you could just tell at that moment in time the game was over i think it just deflated buffalo so much that it it, they just couldn't recover from that i kind of want to get your guys thoughts on on what you saw yeah totally it kind of felt like one of those games where you see it more in basketball but it's a close it's like within 10 points but it never feel really feels like the other team's actually going to make up the ground, and it kind of just stays 10 points the whole game. No one really feels in danger. It's kind of what it felt like. You know, I think we all wanted the Bills to come out and punch Kansas City in the mouth and set it to tone, but it didn't really happen, and it was just... It never felt like there was a threat, which is a bummer, but also Kansas City at the not-so-socially-distanced dis- arrowhead, not totally surprised either. When Buffalo got up 9 nothing, was loving it, but you knew that You'd have to score a lot more points than that to beat Kansas City. We saw what Houston did last year. They jumped out, what was it, 21 or 24 nothing, and then got boat raced by Mahomes and company. So all in all, though, great season for Buffalo. They're, I think they've built a really strong foundation, and they're going to be a team to be reckoned with for a number of years to come. 
I just think they're them and Cleveland and a number of other teams in the AFC just sucks. It just so happens to be they're hitting their stride right in the era of the baby goat Patrick Mahomes coming to power. I know it's a, a, a topic that Gabe has you know further down the line, but Buffalo's lack of a running game too, I think, really caught up to them uh, last night. Yeah, I I just think this came down to Kansas City being more explosive on the offensive side of the ball. If I I, I know Kansas City's defense is is really really good, but you've ju- you've got to be able to keep up with them. Yeah, I, Buffalo showed a little bit of life in the fourth quarter. Uh, take that for what you will. I mean, they they recovered the onside kick, which I knew as soon as it came off his foot that Buffalo was going to recover. It just looks so nice. But even at that point, I mean, you're still down what? Yeah, you're down 17 to make it a 14 point game. And at that point, I don't know. But I do I do want to hit on on something that Andrew was just mentioning is the is the running game. I think this is the biggest thing that kind of held Buffalo back. Um, you saw throughout the whole entire playoffs this year and a lot of the season that their running game just just is non-existent. And so just looking at their rushing stats from the game, you have Josh Allen, seven carries for 88 yards with a 12.6 average. You then move on to their two running backs, Devin Singletary, six rushes for 17 yards, 2.8 average, and TJ Yeldon, three carries for 15 yards, five average, but that's not going to do anything for you. And sure, Josh Allen is is mobile enough to to move around and, and get you some first downs, but when your running backs get you a total of thirty two yards the whole entire game, it's, it's just not enough. You can't you can't consistently go up against a team deep in the playoffs and just expect to throw it what they did forty eight times. They missed Frank Gore. They need their they need their star studded running back. I think some of that too is being without Zach Moss. But Buffalo, if you look at their numbers throughout the season, they really have not been much of a running team. Devin Singletary, as a rookie, lit it up down the stretch, but this year has been used primarily as a receiver, as somebody who had him on my fantasy team and drafted him expecting, you know, kind of mid to low tier RB2 numbers. I was severely disappointed. I think some of it too is just Buffalo wasn't built to run the ball this year. They were built to be more of an air raid and let Josh Allen throw it to two or three really good receivers and and that's you know the hill that they live and die on not only that which is, i agree with all of that but not only is the running game important to balance the passing game to make play actions work but we saw that the strategy of the browns went in there and almost won to beat kansas city and that's to ground and pound it because it keeps the clock moving and it really limits kansas city's possessions and ability to do damage and helps you not get in too big of a hole and uh, as you guys mentioned, you know, Buffalo just doesn't, they haven't really had that this whole year. And so not only do they not have a good running back, they also just, that's been the proven way to beat Kansas City so far, especially because they're not good enough to win in a, a shootout duel like the Buccaneers might be able to. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Vance. I mean, when you're going up against two two offensive weapons like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, you're trying to do anything that you can to keep them off of the field. And I, I think that obviously is attributed to the running game. So do we think, you know, in the off season, I know running backs aren't really prioritized as far as, you know, teams go and their needs, but do you think a good running game can push Buffalo over, over that hump and, and take them somewhere next year? See, it's funny. I actually think that, I just think that the offense needs to get better. And I think that mostly comes down to Josh Allen being better. So if that means another really good wide receiver they get a tight end, so like a, a, a really effective tight end, not, okay, you know, he'll catch it and get you eight yards kind of thing. Um, or maybe that is just 
a running back out of the backfield that can catch it and make explosive plays. But I I don't think it's necessarily all just on the running game. I, I think we've seen enough teams succeed without being able to run the ball. I think giving them a running game takes them to the next level, but I don't know if that's enough to to consistently say that they would beat the beat Kansas City. I think Josh Allen took some great steps this year. Him and Stephon Diggs together was not only was a great combination, but it was fun to watch. But any sort of running game that they can develop, I think, only makes that that passing game stronger in the long run. Agreed with all that. I think that they don't nec- like Joel is saying. I don't think they necessarily have to have an amazing running back. I think, but I think if they're going to beat the Chiefs, since the Chiefs stayed the gatekeepers of the AFC, which as of now I see them as the kind of the gatekeepers of the AFC for a while, then they are getting to develop um, a running game. But if they get better wide receivers and a tight end, like Joel said, they might be able to bypass the running back requirement in general as a team. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they prioritize their off season. Um, especially since you know they they have a lot of their weapons still coming back, and it looks like they're going to be able to keep Brian Dable as their offensive coordinator at least for another year. So there will be some continuity to it as well. On the other side of the coin, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers here quickly. You know his his comments after the game in his post game interview were interesting to say the least. Um, and I know you guys mentioned a little bit earlier in our introductions, but. I just kind of want to get your guys' thoughts. Where where are we at with the whole Aaron Rodgers being the starting quarterback next year for the Green Bay Packers? Do you think it's a mutual split? Do you think he wants to leave? Is it time for Jordan Love? Where are you guys kind of at on that on that wagon? Vance, we can start with you. I don't know if it's time for Jordan Love necessarily, but I don't blame Rodgers for wanting to get out. But I also think Rodgers needs to have some reflection here, you know, because, yes, he had a great regular season. But if you look at the playoffs recently, he's kind of been the one letting them down. So while I think that Rodgers could benefit from a better team and a better culture, I don't think Rodgers just going to another team is going to get him a Super Bowl. I think that I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, but I also don't blame um, Rodgers for one play, just considering how poorly the Packers have kind of managed everything the last few years. You know, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady all have the same number of NFC championships. I saw that, and it just blew my mind. Put a big smile on my face. Personally, I think Rodgers will be back in Green Bay next year. You don't just move a quarterback of his talent just because, you know, you you lost one game. But hypothetical situation here. How much fun would it be to see him with Kyle Shanahan in the Bay Area with a team that has a phenomenal running game, even when three of the five running backs are hurt, and two really interesting young receivers in Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk? and a stud tight end in George Kittle. How much fun would that be to watch? Not saying it's going to happen, but would love to see it. I'm I'm looking for a Brett Favre move to the Jets where he can go 8-8, eight and eight and and that'll make me happy. I don't know if it'll make him happy. However, Vance, going back to going back to your point, I do think it's funny that you talk about not being able to go, go to another team and win a Super Bowl when Tom Brady just did the exact thing. Well, I never said that Tom Brady wouldn't win another Super Bowl on another team, though. I didn't say that. But yes, that's that is the irony is not lost on me. Wouldn't it be so fitting if if Aaron Rodgers follows in Brett Favre's footsteps again and just goes straight to the Jets for like one or two years, works under Sala? Everyone needs to stay the heck out of my division. First, Deshaun wants to come here. Now Rodgers wants to come here. None of them want to go to the Patriots, mind you. But they just want to go to the NFC, the AFC East. Like, 
get the heck out of my division. Like, let me let me just deal with Buffalo. That's enough right now. And Tua is going to be good. You had your t- chance to tank for Trevor, and you didn't take advantage. You thought Cam Newton was going to lead you to the promised land. I never said Cam Newton was going to take us to a Super Bowl. You were drinking the Kool-Aid at the start of the year. You never said that. I was. I, sa- I definitely said that I think to be 10-5 and five and make the playoffs. I did say that. So definitely drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. But I was not thinking they were going to go to the Super Bowl. Just silently hoping. Also, Matt Stafford, New England, please. Please, please. Honestly, like, honestly, it could happen. It'll it'll be interesting to see where where some of the moving pieces go this year because I feel like I feel like Darnold's probably out in New York, and I don't know if he's like a a great acquisition for a team, but I feel like somebody's going to take a flyer on him because he's young enough. Then you have Matt Stafford. You possibly could have Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson. I think that's going to be a big shakeup for some of these teams. I think there's a number of QBs. You know, a little bit further down the list there: Jimmy G, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater. I think there's a number of quarterbacks that could be on the move. Uh, Dak Prescott, even if Dallas decides not to give him the long-term deal. I think Adam Schefter had a tweet that, that he t- said, because he has many as like 18 quarterbacks moving this Carson offseason. Carson Wentz. Maybe even Hopefully more. Carson Wentz. Whenever we yeah. want to talk about future, future superstar Dwayne Haskins, who's already signed a new contract, then I'm, I'm open to it. Dwayne Haskins starter, opening, opening day starter 2021. Future headline, Dwayne Haskins arrested outside of a Pittsburgh With Antonio club. Brown? What? <laughs> 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 Who saw that coming? Juju was dancing. That's what tipped off the police. Uh, no, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where, where some of these quarterbacks move. If Rodgers is, is done in Green Bay, I think... You know, it was a really good run. Granted, he only turned it into one Super Bowl, but you know, it'll it'll be interesting for all for all these teams to to shake up their quarterback position. Was, was it that good of a run? He won one Super Bowl. Hasn't been back to any since he won that one. I can't even ar- I can't even argue that they've had consistent playoff success. But if you ask an Eagles, if you if you ask an Eagles fan, they had a great run with Doug Peterson, one Super Bowl, and then just okay. a shit show right. after that, and before that. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I th- well, here's the other thing. I think McCarthy wasted a lot of good years of Aaron Rodgers' career, so I don't, I don't really love to put that on Rodgers' fault. But I will say that, I mean, it, they've made, I want to say, four or five NFC championships out of him. Granted, it, it can never get there except for one time. But I mean, to make four or five NFC championships, that's that's pretty remarkable in itself. I would say. I remember how often he was referred to as having the best arm anybody had ever seen so i just feel like it's not like the nfc has been dominated by one team all these years i just feel like the window was open most of that time that's fair all right and then moving into our second topic we'll get into the nba which just hit its one month mark a couple days ago and just getting into it let's talk a little bit about our early season favorites we can get specifically into the mvp most important Uh, most improved player race i think those are two fun races to kind of see um and then if you guys have any thoughts as far as uh the rookie of the year we can kind of get into that a little bit but just want to get your guys' thoughts as far as everything that's kind of happened so far who's really stood out to you who's you know outperformed what they came into the season joel we already know who you're about to say for most improved but you know if you guys just want to go through and and kind of say where you're at as far as mvp most improved and if you want to include rookie in the rookie of the year in there I spent like an hour trying to make a case for Jalen Brown to be MVP. And while he has had a great season, he's not at the numbers of Jokic. If you look at Jokic's 
BPM and his defensive BPM and his VORP, they're all all higher than Durant's. And so for right now, I got to go Jokic, especially because the defensive contributions are bigger. There's plenty of time left. I know that's the easy cop-out pick, but numbers don't lie. And then for, I said Okoro at the beginning, that's not going well. Uh, we'll just pretend I never made that prediction. And I think right now, Rookie of the Year, probably Halliburton. But again, I think you've got like three front runners up there, and it's a long way to the chase pack. I think you can make a good case for any of the kind of the top three right now. Personally, I'm choosing Halliburton so far. And then most improved, I think, Gabe, the the one the one upside for the Pistons this year, which is then equaled out by downside of Christian Wood. But Jeremiah Grant has been really good, giving you Pistons fans some... Uh, Maybe it'll carry you to a couple more wins. Maybe it'll carry you guys to win tonight against the 76ers. You never know. Can you say can you say that first name again, Vance? Jeremiah Grant. Jeremy Grant. All right. Well, I'm not an English major, so that shows you how many piston games I've watched this year, gentlemen. That's fair. That's about as many as I've watched so far, too. Spiker, where where are you at as far as your MVP most improved in in rookie of the year? So MVP, I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna say right now right now it would have to be be Jokic. Let me propose this question to you guys though. Looking at uh, basketball reference, they have Jokic with a 42% probability of winning the MVP. If you were to say right now, either Jokic or the field, which one would you take rest of the season? Probably the field. I think Jokic because he plays on a, he is going to be the main focal point of that team where Durant, you've got Harden and Kyrie to compete for prestige. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And I, I think Luka's going to make a run. I don't know if he's going to win it, but I think once Dallas finally figures figures it out, I think they've gotten off to a slow start. I think he'll his stock will shoot up in that discussion. But yeah, right now I would roll with him. Most improved, I'm going to say Colin Sexton, just because you know I think Christian Wood's going to win it. But just to get another another name out there, guys just been balling out. Rookie of the year, I'm going to say James Wiseman, just something different. I wouldn't be surprised either if. Uh, Anthony Edwards snuck up on people at some point. Another one who I don't think will win it, but just a guy to keep an eye an eye on. And for the Tankathon, I hope Detroit finishes with the worst record, and I hope it comes down to you know lottery night. And just for for Gabe's sake, because it's their Super Bowl, I hand up, hope they end up with the number two overall pick, just for good measure. I think we all would agree on that, except for Gabe. I'll take it. Joe, where are you at with your your awards one month in? I am shocked. And I, I say this having picked Jokic to win MVP going into the season, but they're they're hovering right around 500 right now. So it's, it's tough for me to pick him. My obvious pick, aside from Julius Randle, is Joel Embiid. He's been dominant this year. 27-11, a block and a half and a steal a half per game. He's shooting 40% from three. And I think most importantly, he's he's bringing it every night. I think he's this is the first year where They've been able to count on him every single night down in the post and just, I don't know, just the consistency. Yeah, I like I like that you brought up Embiid, and I think that's that's why I had to answer Spiker's question about do you take Jokic or the field? Because that's kind of where I'm at right now as far as I, I really like what Embiid's doing. He's leading the 76ers to the best the best record in the East. I think he's, he's finally put it all together as far as scoring defense and leadership for that team and I just think right now uh, he would honestly probably be my front runner I know Jokic is pretty much the whole Denver Nuggets team right now but just what Joel has been able to do and like I said the 76ers really performing above maybe even some people's expectations 
I think he's probably my favorite right now. And then just to be just to be clear, you've also got Julius Randle third. If you're if you're looking at most improved, honestly, looking at what I had my top five, we've mentioned four of them here already, and Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood, Colin Sexton, and Julius Randle. And Joel, I hate saying Julius, but I would have to agree. And I do like your pick now, just because he's he's actually been consistent, and I feel like that's something that was a little bit of a knock against him earlier in his career. I say earlier is he's like a fourth year player, fifth year player, but he's, he's put it all together and he's put it together for multiple games. And so far the first month of the season, Jeremy Grant and Christian Wood are just outperforming what they've done their whole entire career. Now that they have a bigger role on their teams. And I think you're really kind of seeing what they can produce at a high level when they're, you know, called upon as an actual player and not just, uh, you know, a bench guy. And then what Colin Sexton's been able to do for the past five, six games, I think automatically puts him up there. I mean, outperforming the whole entire net squad pretty much two nights in a row and leading the Cavs team to a win. Um, and then he's just improved so much as a player from his, what was it, his rookie year last year? Two years ago, okay. So it, just even from two years ago where, you know, he would just come pretty much, he, he was looked at as just a scorer and he's he's kind of turned it around a lot um, recently and, and led that Cavs squad. So, you know, moving off from the moving off from the players, let's talk a little bit about some NBA contenders as far as teams go. So looking at the looking at the current, you know, rankings right now as far as standings, uh, what we're really looking at is playoff picture if the season were to end today, one month in. You're looking at matchups of 76ers versus the Knicks, Bucks versus Hawks, Celtics, Cavs, and Pacers, Nets. And then in the West, we're looking at Clippers, Spurs, Lakers, Suns, Jazz, Grizzlies, and Trailblazers, Nuggets. So I kind of just want to get your guys' thoughts as far as, you know, who's kind of impressed you from a team standpoint this season. Um, And if you guys maybe want to name one team from each conference, we can kind of go from there. There's a great song by the Foo Fighters called The Pretender. And little did we know that it was actually written about these Brooklyn Nets when it came out about 10 years ago. The Nets, like I said, have no depth. they got to rely on those top three to win them a game. Top three who also really don't play defense. So will the Nets get some wins? Yes. But I think they're a bunch of pretenders right now. Um, biggest content got to be the 76ers. It pains me to say that. As more than you guys know. But unfortunately, the 76ers look really legit this year. And that's even while battling some health and coronavirus uh, issues as well, too. Forgot to choose a West team because I just, like, psychologically don't care about the West as much. I would have to say the Lakers. I, again, see, now you guys are making me choose all the teams I hate. Thanks, guys. Putting me in a great mood. But the Lakers, unfortunately, LeBron could take, like, a day off. and It, it just doesn't matter. And LeBron knows it doesn't matter. They're still going to be great. You know, the Clippers, they haven't done anything in the playoffs ever, so they can be good, but I don't give that any stock. The Jazz are fun to watch, but they don't, they don't like, do anything. Well, not don't do anything, but they're not a real threat to the Lakers. So, fortunately, as of now, I'm still choosing the Lakers. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the Lakers to lose in the West. I just don't see anybody having the firepower to compete with them. Would love to see a Lakers-Clippers series, just to give everybody what they what they were hoping to see last year, but... I still think the Lakers take that probably in 
six or less. The one team, though, in the West that severely disappointed so far this year is the Pelicans, sitting there at 5-10. and 10. Thought we'd see something out of them this year, but guess not. In the East, personally, I'd love to see a, a Sixers-Lakers series just to see uh, AD That'd and Embiid go at it and, and LeBron and Ben Simmons. My surprise team so far has been the Pacers sitting there at 4, and my dude Demonis Sabonis continuing to ball out every single night with Malcolm Brogdon. And I know they just made that deal, and Levert's out, but I think he will be a great fit on that team whenever he is back and healthy. So wishing him a speedy recovery. And my team in the East that's been severely disappointing has been the Miami Heat, sitting there at 6-9 and nine for a team that a lot of people picked to represent the East again in the NBA Finals or be a top-four seed to currently be sitting 13th in the East. Really disappointing to start the year. Right now I've got, I've got four contenders. I've got the Lakers, easy one, Clippers, I think they've looked really good again. And, you know, they, they, they were up 3-1 last year on the Nuggets. I, maybe, maybe it was all Doc. Who knows? I've got, I've got the Jazz. I think their offense with Bogdanovich back has been amazing. And I, I think it's been good enough to the point where as long as Gobert can kind of guard Anthony Davis, just kind of stay with him, then it gives him a chance. And then the Sixers. I think the most disappointing team for me so far has been the Bucks. I mean, I know Drew Holiday just just got there, so I mean, what it's been a month with him on the team, but he hasn't he hasn't been the issue. I think the biggest problem for them has been Giannis. He just he looks really unenthused out there. I don't know if it's just just coronavirus, if it's if he knows he's not going to win the MVP again, and he sees the team around him, and he's like, why did why did I resign? I that's a team that's actually concerning me, and then. I don't know if I have any real disappointments out West. If anything, I'm most surprised that the Thunder have been competitive. Joel, I'll, I'll agree with a lot of your points that you had there. So it was kind of like a three-way tie as far as like disappointments in the East for me this year, at least so far. But I like that you brought up the Giannis situation just because he he just doesn't... From the from the Bucks games that I've watched so far, he just does not seem into it. He He's not taking over games like he used to like he did last year and the year before and he just really seems just kind of like lackadaisical out there he's just going through the motions the other two that I was really thinking of were the Brooklyn Nets again with all that star power of course there's going to be some some issues on how you mesh on the basketball court but just looking at their points per game so they're the highest scoring team in the league at 120 points which is great but they also allow the most points let me look they, they allow the second most points in the league at 116. The only worst team is the Sacramento Kings. They just don't have they don't have any defense out there and I you're gonna have to have something when you get into the playoffs because if you have a bad night of shooting, you're done if you don't have if you don't have any type of defense there. And then Miami Heat, I don't know what's going on down there. Boy, do they look like they're struggling. Their points per game differentials minus almost minus four. Six and nine right now. They just they're not looking they're not looking too great. Just really quick, I I do believe Jimmy Butler has had an extended absence from the team. I don't I I don't know if it's an injury or if it's coronavirus related, but I for me at least personally, that's why I have not been quite as concerned because I do believe he's been out for a while. And I know that they didn't play any games for I don't know if it was a full week or not. It might have been less than that, but. I, th- I do think that's part of their problem. Yeah, and I mean, that's fair. You're obviously missing a, 
all-star to borderline all-star every single year. But just with the with the jump that I thought Bam was going to have with Tyler Hero, who's who's had a jump statistically, I just thought they'd be a little bit better than where they're kind of at. And then the surprise for me are the Cleveland Cavs, honestly. They've looked really competitive in, in almost every single game that they've played, whether it's a win or a loss. I mean, like I said, they, they beat Brooklyn twice. They just look competitive out there. Colin Sexton's playing great. Andre Drummond, Larry Nance. I mean, it's all meshing really well, and I think that's what you kind of like to see if you're a Cavs fan, um, just kind of that cohesion as a team, and people actually listen to J.B. Bickerstaff this time as a coach. And then out west, my most disappointment right now is probably Dallas, even though they're 500 at 8-8. Eight and eight, It's just they haven't really put it together. I don't know if it's just early season struggles or what, but kind of what Andrew was or Spiker was talking about earlier of – Luca just not being able to put it together as a whole, and then you have Porzingis out there who, man, I wish he, he would have never gotten injured because he I feel like he'd have been so good. So that's my that's my disappointment out west. I, I do want just, you, you went you jumped over to the west kind of quick, but the Cavs' defense has, I, I would have never thought they could have been a top five defense for even a five-game stretch. I, I believe right now they're still number three, well, they might be coming back to Earth, so we'll have to see by the next podcast. <laughs> they have where one they bad game against the Celtics, yes, but at, as a whole for the season, they've been from being possibly the worst defense in history. I believe it was last year to actually being uh, solid at minimum um, ha- has been surprising. And then I just want to quickly mention my favorite website, Tankathon.com, where you get to. Look at you get to look at all these teams out here, um, their records. They put them by records as far as like an NBA draft lottery simulator, and I get a kick out of it every single morning when I check that thing. And Detroit's still at pick number one, and I'll sim that lottery about ten times to see how many chances Detroit ends up with that number one pick. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. I think it's I think it's a fun thing to do. Just kind of look. You get to see, and then if you actually click on the teams, you can see what picks they have in the upcoming draft, why they don't have some of their picks as far as the trades and everything like that. So I just kind of wanted to put that in there as far as, you know, if you wanted to check that out. I think it's a little cool tool that's that's out there. Hey, Gabe, I'm going to give you a fun exercise. If you click that, you know, refresh lottery 100 times, Detroit's going to end up with the number one pick 14 times. You know, Gabe, I used to be a really big fan of it myself, and then I... I saw the Cavs fall all the way down to Darius Garland's pick, and Colin Sexton's pick. As much as I like Okoro, they, they fell down there too. I think I just get overly optimistic. Granted, in Detroit's history, they've never moved up in the draft. They've only ever moved back. And so I'm hoping it's a change in 2021. Speaking of draft, I have somebody that the Pistons are going to end up taking in the draft when we get into this ACC segment. Yeah, so so let's move into it. We'll we'll kind of go through the college basketball season, not like quickly, but we'll we'll get into it really really in depth. We're going to talk about every single game that's been played. Right. Just kind of going over the college basketball season. Let's uh let's just talk about ACC basketball right now and and how bad for lack of a better term they've been. You have Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, and of course, fans Boston College all outside of the top 25. And this is, I believe this is the first time that that both Duke and North Carolina have been out of the top 25 at the same time, like ever. Um, I kind of just wanted to get your guys' thoughts as far as, you know, 
are these legacy teams kind of spiraling? And I and I can include Michigan State and Kentucky in here as well. But you know, I guess what's going on as far as you know college basketball is is these legacy teams kind of dropping off, or is it just better talent somewhere else? I think in some instances, sometimes when legacy teams drop, it's because there's much better talent and it's a changing of the guard. But and while some of that is you know valid because Virginia has been good the last five years and continues to be good this year overall and Florida State's been decent the last few years too and good overall I'm more concerned about North Carolina because North Carolina had a really rough year last year too and North Carolina might actually be in NIT territory which would be unheard of because usually the ACC gets like anywhere between seven and nine teams but this ACC league does not does not deserve those seven to nine spots that it usually does I mean the fact that Pitt is in fifth is like apocalyptic but good for Pitt congrats I mean all the usual guys are just they're not Duke you know Duke has a bad year they're entitled to a bad year here and there but I think they're if I was at the ACC you know and doing their trying to do the next television contract I would be getting I would be getting a little bit concerned about long term because a lot of the other legacies in here you know Syracuse has a stored legacy they're mediocre this year you know they they at best will be a fringe turning team but most likely will probably be a, a strong NIT team you know it none of these other franchises that have big names like Notre Dame they're not doing well not that Notre Dame's ever really been phenomenal at basketball recently or at least the last couple of years so I think there's some reasonable room for concern so, there so let me think, let me include absolutely. this uh and and this can go for Spiker and, and Joel let me include this so is the is the one and done kind of coming back and, and biting some of these teams in the butt as far as you know, you see these Dukes and North Carolinas and teams that consistently produce one and done players to the league. Do you think this is kind of coming back and, you know, kind of biting them as far as not having that continuity and consistency throughout their team? I'm going to start with this, that the ACC basketball is a joke, but as the top, as the poll was just released the other day, ACC lacrosse though, all five teams in the preseason top 10, three in the top five with Duke at number one, with the best player in the country, Syracuse at number two and UVA at number five. So that league is going to be a slugfest this year. But going back to basketball, the best team in the ACC we got to see on Saturday as they beat the brakes off of Clemson, and that is the Florida State Seminoles. And they are led future Detroit Piston draft pick, Scotty Barnes. Learn the name. He's going to be a stud in the NBA. Sadly, he's going to end up in Detroit, so his career is going to be all for naught. Well, if he's a stud, he's not going to be at the Pistons then. As for the legacy teams, I think North Carolina is starting to get into that oh crap territory. Like, you know, we've been a blue blood program for years, and it's been a number of consecutive years now where they've really struggled. I think Duke, I think this is just an outlier season. They had, they shut down there for a while at the beginning of the year due to COVID concerns. And just the talent on this team alone compared to some of the teams, obviously the Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish team, just it's, it's not near the same they have some kids who are good athletes but just need that time to develop they're not really one and dones they're more two three even four year players right now but programs like Syracuse who I think they've been solid but they haven't been the top five programs that that you're used to seeing so I do think it's a little bit of a changing of a guard of the garden in that aspect but I think a team like Duke is is too well coached to not bounce back in the long run Roy Williams not a good enough coach then Spiker I think I think Roy, Roy Williams' days are numbered. Leonard Hamilton, though, coach of the year. First of all, my highlight from this past weekend was seeing some, I believe it was um, 
don't know if he was a journalism student from Duke or I don't I can't remember his major. But he asked Coach K a question after they had just just lost their game. And Coach K got so infuriated and it just made me so happy inside. Seeing seeing Duke be middling and mediocre has has been all that I ever could have dreamed for. On to the bigger issue, some of these legacy schools. I think per for me, I I would tend to lean towards it just being due to the freshmen not having the amount of time that they normally have to kind of gel with the team and get acclimated. So I I I don't really I'm not too concerned with any of those schools going forward after this year. Now, now, for, does that mean other teams like Gonzaga might not be even better suited? No, they probably are better. But I think just, you know, for one year, they depend on one and dones. And when you're getting fewer of them because of the G League and they have less time because of COVID, I think... it's reflecting yeah i think that's a fair point and and i really like that you guys talked about north carolina and syracuse because that's who i was really thinking about when this when this topic came up Um, just because those teams i mean you used to consistently see them high in the rankings every single year making it to the elite eights the sweet 16s everything like that and then they come out and you know in the past few years they've kind of you know laid an egg as far as they're not they weren't their true forms or you know, they, they had players on their teams, but they could never put it together as far as, you know, a run or anything like that. So I like that you guys brought that up. And moving on to Joel's point, I, I want to bring up as far as what where are you guys standing as far as these, you know, the college route compared to going the G League route? Does it make sense for some of these one and dones to go the G League route over over playing in college? Or where do you guys kind of stand on that? Especially, you know, if this does become a trend of, of these blue blood schools of North Carolina's where, you know, you pretty much went there and, and were almost guaranteed to make it to the league where they might be struggling now. I just kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on if you're a, if you're a recruit coming through and, and you're a high recruit, do you press your luck going to the G League or do you try to go to one of these blue blood schools? I think you still go the college route. And I understand why that might not be as popular these days. But honestly, the, making a name for yourself is still more through college. And I think scouts are going to respect you more for going college route, especially if you go to a, a big-name school, even if they're struggling a little bit. And also, aside from that, college teaches you a lot of life lessons. Not that the G League can't, but I think there's a lot of unique situations that come up in college that kind of prep players for the NBA or sometimes doesn't prep them enough, but... And for that reason, I would say you take at least take the year of college. Absolutely take the year of college. You're going to get more recognition. And let's be honest, you're still probably getting paid under the table. So does it really matter? Or at the very least, you don't actually have to do real classes. So either way. I don't, I don't even think it's going to be a question in another year or two. I think the NBA is going to start taking kids right out of high school again. And the difference between a one year of experience at college, which is probably only like eight months or a, a couple million dollars isn't even close. Take the money. That's, that's definitely a fair point. I know they're, they're talking about, I believe it's the 2022 season is when, when players can start going from high school to, to the NBA. So, I mean, at that point, I feel like there's going to be a big drop off and big high school names moving to the league instead of going to going to school just to you know get that money whether they be 
you know, a top 10 pick or, you know, wherever, I think you're going to see a lot more players kind of make that jump from high school to the league than you, than you used to see back when the, it happened in the And this is why the NBA is trying, to, is trying to turn the G League into a minor league system is that they know that these kids need to develop. And I think they're even willing to pay them for extra development years, but it's just really hard when not every team has their own affiliated G League team. Yeah, I think that's something that we'll see as time goes on. You're seeing a lot more teams buy buy teams or create teams in the G League just so they do have that development piece where you kind of see it as like a NFL where they have their practice squad or the MLB farm system. And I think you'll see that kind of the G League turn into that as more time goes on, especially when you're getting players from high school moving up straight into the NBA. And then just, just to clarify, right now, 25 NBA teams already have a G League team, so they're close. Yeah, so it'll it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years how that how that kind of turns out. Going from that, we'll move in to our hard hits. So this is a weekly segment where we each talk about one thing that's coming up in the upcoming week that we're excited to see. I will start off this week talking about the new Eagles head coach. Philadelphia Eagles hired their new head coach Nick Sirianni this week. Pretty disappointed that Biennemi from Kansas City didn't get an interview because that was my first choice, but I am excited to see what he brings. I like Frank Reich, who is now the head coach in Indianapolis, and so Sirianni comes from that coaching tree. And I really like Frank Reich when he was the offensive coordinator from the Eagles in 2017 when they won their Super Bowl. So we'll see how it goes. I do send my condolences to Deuce Staley and his family, longtime Eagles running back in the late late 1990s and early 2000s and then he was a running backs coach assistant head coach for the Eagles from like 2015 on but he moved on to Detroit today so he will be long missed but I'm excited for the new hire I am really looking forward to Celtics Lakers always a big rivalry but even more so when the teams are actually good second biggest rivalry in North American sports, and I am very excited for it, but also maybe not if they lose. That, and also, I've finally learned, after years of trying, I've finally learned and understand cricket. So go Wellington Firebirds. Had a lot of fun watching them last night. What was the final score of that? It was 157 over 9, and the other one was 153 over 4, I think? Around there. Sounds like a blowout. I'm going to have to look into how scoring works in cricket because that made no sense to me. One of those is a much better ratio than the other, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's good or not. I... No, you want the lower ratio because then it means you're you're suing more for every time you get out. Yeah, so less outs, lower denominator to divide by. I don't know if that's making any sense, but we're just going to roll with it. I'll have a cricket segment next week, maybe. So my hard hit goes to the world of hockey in the NHL. The Columbus Blue Jackets traded their 22-year-old top center, Pierre-Luc Dubois, also known as PLD, to the Winnipeg Jets, along with a third-round draft pick for Patrick Laine, who is a very high-scoring winger who also had fallen out of favor with his team, and Jack Roslovic, who is a Columbus native who had never played for Winnipeg, but has grown up around the Columbus organization. So interesting to see how that fits because Columbus is a team that doesn't, or that doesn't have many centers to begin with. And they just traded their, their top guy and Patrick Lyonnais contract is up at the end of the year. So kind of a win now move by the jackets 
if especially if Line A doesn't resign in the offseason. But it's interesting to see what uh, how that transpires. Well, aside from Colin Sexton's all-star tour, which who of us could have expected, in the news today, it came up that Kevin Love is potentially on the on the radar for the Brooklyn Nets. So if if they just want one one more one more Cav, they can have him. They can just take his contract. We'll take back whatever. If we could just get that that contract out of here, I'll be I'll be excited. The Steelers are also still directionless, you could say. So I'm excited to see anything that comes up on that front. See Kevin Love get traded for a washer like Kyle Corver did back in his his Nets days. Yeah, I'm I'm less enthused at the idea of JaVale McGee being gone because he's always been a personal favorite, but that'd be fine too if I got Kevin Love out of here. Hey, JaVale, I saw a video. JaVale is going coast to coast between the legs and and slamming it down. He looked like Giannis, and I'll hear nothing less. All right, that's going to do it for us this week for the Ball Out Boys podcast. Vince, you want to lead us out? Yeah, first, thank you for listening, and secondly, congrats to Natalie Sago and Jenna Schroeder, who will be the first part of the first female majority referee crew tonight for the Hornets and the magic. Really cool stuff to see. Awesome. With that, everybody have a nice week. We will see you next week here on the ball out boys podcast.